Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. I'm Sass Elisha. And I'm Jeremy Heiner. Uh, So in these episodes, we're going to talk more about clinical stuff. And uh, one of my favorites, we're going to be talking about airway today, specifically awake intubation using a topical anesthesia technique that we call Topical Thunder, baby. That's right. Topical Thunder. So we know your time's important. We're gonna get this done for you. And we're gonna do it in a power-packed episode. So get ready to take some deep breaths. Maybe anesthetize your airway a little bit because it is go go time. We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we want to bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession. Now, there are a lot of details that we're going to be talking about as we continue through this podcast. However, if you want to possibly watch this done live, it's going to be done live somewhere in August (laughs) 2023. Jeremy, where would that be? Yeah, uh, this is going to be in Seattle uh, in August at the AANA Annual Congress. I'm speaking there for uh, On Topical Thunder, and I uh, I think the only reason that they let me speak on this is because I told them that I would intubate myself on stage at the end of the presentation. You know, that's how you get to talk, right? <laughs> that's how you... Th- well, that's how you shut someone up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You stick a tube in there in yeah. the airway. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. You know, I'll try that, and then people may ask me to speak. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right. So in the previous episode, we talked about awake intubation, and we talked about flexible intubating scopes. And we also talked about we would be talking about topical thunder in this episode. So the newer bronchoscopes no longer use fiber optic technology, as we've talked about. So the new term is called flexible scope intubation, and the new device is called flexible intubating scope. No more fiber optic channels. Yep, no more fiber optic. And I mean, that can be a little confusing, so it's just easier to use the the term flexible intubation. So what we want to do today is talk about how to prepare the airway for awake intubation. And specifically, we're going to spend the majority of the time talking about a topical anesthesia technique for awake intubation that we call topical thunder. That's right, 
Topical Thunder. Now, before we get going with the actual procedure itself, we thought a review would be very handy, especially for students who are getting ready to take boards or even CRNAs out there who are prepping for the CPC exam. This information is will absolutely be on these exams, so let's review the target nerves that innervate the airway. So if we're going to start, we're going to start in the nasal cavity here. If you're going to be doing a nasal intubation, you want to make sure that these nerves are anesthetized, specifically the maxillary branch of the trigeminal nerve. That is what innervates the nasal cavity. And we're going to need to block the maxillary branch of that trigeminal nerve. The maxillary nerve branches into the greater and lesser palatine nerves. And this provides sensation to the nasal turbinates and the posterior two thirds of the nasal septum. Next, we need to worry about anesthetizing the, uh, the oral cavity and the oral pharyngeal airway. And the sensory innervation to this particular area, specifically the oropharynx, is provided by the glossopharyngeal nerve, cranial nerve 9. And this nerve branches into the pharyngeal plexus as well as the lingual branch of the glossopharyngeal nerve. This provides sensation to part of the oropharynx down to the vallecula. And there, there may be some innervation, nervous innervation from the glossopharyngeal nerve to the anterior part of the epiglottis. It really depends on what text you're reading, um, but certainly not the posterior epiglottis, the part that faces the laryngeal opening. So really we're looking at the vallecula, part of the oropharynx, and possibly the anterior epiglottis in terms of glossopharyngeal nerve innervation to the uh, oropharyngeal airway. All right, so now let's talk about the sensory innervation to the laryngopharynx provided via the vagus nerve and glossopharyngeal nerve that make up the pharyngeal plexus. And then we'll also talk about the superior laryngeal nerve. The pharyngeal plexus is a collection of nerves toward the back of the throat in the laryngopharynx. Now, when we talk about the superior laryngeal nerve, there are two branches. One is motor and one is sensory. We, when we're talking about doing a nerve block, we're concerned about the sensory innervation. So the sensory innervation via the superior laryngeal nerve is via the internal branch, internal, whereas the motor innervation is the external branch of the laryngeal nerve, and that innervates the cricothyroid muscle. So again, really concerned about internal branch of the superior laryngeal nerve. That right there sounds like a fantastic test question. Yeah, absolutely, yes. I think every educator loves writing test questions on that particular nerve right there. Yes, and then our last nerve that we love to write test questions about is the recurrent laryngeal nerve. And of course, the recurrent laryngeal nerve is a mixed nerve. It is a branch of the vagus nerve, of course. So it provides both sensory and motor innervation below the level of the cords. So when you place in your endotracheal tube, one of the things as we'll talk about is doing a recurrent laryngeal nerve block and that will anesthetize the sensory aspect. Yeah, okay, perfect. Well, there, there you have a great review on the nerves and uh, information for both the CPCA and NCE. All right, let's talk briefly about equipment and then we'll talk about the procedures themselves. So um, in terms of equipment, you're going to use a scope, whether that be a flexible intubating scope 
or a video laryngoscope. You can use either one. There are studies that have been done, and in terms of success, there's no difference. What it comes down to is what device are you more comfortable using? That's the device you should use when doing an awake intubation. All right, uh, another couple uh, pieces of equipment that you're gonna need to have, especially if you're gonna be doing an, a, a topical uh, type of uh, anesthetization of the airway is an atomizer. And the mucosal atomization device, the magic device is a very handy mucosal atomizer where it will spray lidocaine uh, down on the airway. That's one of the reasons why I call it topical thunder is because we use the atomizer and it rains lidocaine down on the airway. That's right, topical thunder. All right, a tongue blade, some gauze, nasal cannula oxygen. Those are all useful and we'll use the tongue blade to uh, put lidocaine paste on. We'll use the gauze to grab the tongue and retract that forward. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, let's briefly talk about nebulized lidocaine because I think we all have stories of awake intubation and seeing it not work out so well. Sass, have you seen this before? Absolutely, yes. Okay. So one of the reasons I don't like to use nebulized lidocaine is really it comes down to two things. If the patient breathes in deeply, all of that nebulized lidocaine is going to go down into the lungs. And that's not going to be helpful. You don't, we're not anesthetizing the lungs. We need to anesthetize the upper airway. However, if the flows are not high enough, then it's going to take forever, forever to anesthetize the upper airway with a nebulizer simply because it is a mist of lidocaine, not droplets like the atomizer will, will do. So an atomizer much quicker in terms of spraying the airway with lidocaine. Now in a previous podcast episode, we talked about fl the flexible intubation technique. And so let's just re-go over some of the, some of the important uh, patient preparation things that we should consider. Yeah, so one thing that would be important is to prep the airway with Rovenol or glycopyrrolate. 0.1, milligrams IV is going to work well. You're going to need to give it about 15 minutes to work. And what that's going to do, of course, as you know, decrease secretions and increase our potential for being able to see a nice, crisp, clear view of the glottic opening. In addition, you may consider aspiration prophylaxis for those patients who are at highest risk for having a full stomach and have the potential for aspiration. Yeah, now if we're gonna be going the nasal route, we'll wanna use a topical vasoconstrictor such as oxymetazoline, 0.05% or phenylephrine, 0.5%. And what this will do is it'll constrict the vessels of the nasal mucosa and we'll wanna spray two sprays in each nair to help uh, with decreasing uh, the potential for, for causing bleeding. The next consideration and, and patient preparation is the possibility of using sedation. 
Now, the goals of using sedation for an awake intubation are number one, to facilitate patient cooperation, and then number two, help reduce any anxiety or discomfort the patient might be having. But we gotta be really careful with, with using sedation. So this is gonna be on a case-by-case -case basis. I don't use sedation for every single one of my awake intubations, but I will use it if the patient is anxious. Some of the uh, potential medications that can be used for sedation are ketamine, remifentanil, dexmedetomidine, or even midazolam. Now the key here with using sedation is to not over sedate. Again, we wanna facilitate cooperation, but we don't wanna over sedate to the point where they're not cooperating because then it's gonna be almost impossible to do an awake intubation. Next, we also wanna avoid any degree of hypoventilation. I mean, really one of the reasons that we're doing an awake intubation is because we don't feel comfortable putting a patient to sleep for whatever reason and causing apnea. All right, now we do need to talk about the injection nerve blocks because they're in all the books, the anesthesia books. We learned about them in school. They're still uh, test questions. So you may see this on the CPC exam or in the NCE exam. And I, I will say that I'm not a huge fan of injection nerve blocks in the airway. And the reason being is because with the topical thunder technique, it is very effective provides anesthesia for a good 15 to 20 minutes. That's plenty of time to do an awake intubation. And you don't have to stick a needle in the neck or in the airway. Patients, by and large, typically do not like injections in the neck or in the airway. So that is primarily why I don't, simply don't use the, the needle techniques, the injection nerve blocks. Now, that's not to say that other providers aren't very comfortable with this and they know how to do them. And, and if you are, then great then you do what you're comfortable with and what you're effective with. So we do feel like it's important to go over these just for the clear fact that, again, you might have test questions on it, so it's good to know the background and the information. So if you are gonna do an ejection nerve block, there are really three that you need to, to concentrate on. The glossopharyngeal nerve block, the superior laryngeal nerve block, and the transtracheal nerve block, which is gonna hit the recurrent laryngeal nerve. So the glossopharyngeal nerve block primarily targets the lingual branch of the glossopharyngeal nerve, and it provides anesthesia to the posterior third of the tongue and goes down into the oropharyngeal airway. How you block this is basically at the base of the palatine tonsil. You will take a long needle, some people use a spinal needle, and inject at the base of each palatine tonsil, um, just under the mucosa, a couple of millimeters, and anywhere from two to three milliliters of 2% lidocaine will do the trick on each side. Yeah, the next block is the superior laryngeal nerve block. And remember that both superior, and I'm gonna be talking about transtracheal next, which is going to be anesthetizing the recurrent laryngeal nerve, remembering that they're both branches of the vagus nerve. This block is gonna provide anesthesia to the hypopharynx and a portion of the glottis and that includes the vallecula and the laryng laryngeal surfaces of the epiglottis. Now, there are a couple of different landmarks. The one that's generally accepted is the greater cornu of the hyoid bone. So what you would do is you would palpate for the greater cornu. You would have to do this, of course, on both sides uh, in order to get anesthesia on both aspects related to the internal branch of the superior laryngeal nerve both sides of the glottis. And what you would do is palpate the greater cornu, move one centimeter down and one centimeter medially, 
and then what you would be doing is a field block providing lidocaine in that area on both sides. And then last, we talked, just to review, glossopharyngeal at the highest point, superior laryngeal nerve above the level of the cord still, and now we're gonna provide anesthesia below the level of the cords, sensory blockade. So what we're gonna do is a transtracheal block. What you'll do is you'll find the cricothyroid membrane, and what you will do is take a needle, pierce through the cricothyroid membrane, aspirate for air, remove the needle, and after you do that, you're gonna take uh, lidocaine 4% and inject it through the catheter into the tracheal lumen. A patient is certainly going to cough, and the coughing isn't a bad thing because as they cough, it's gonna move the lidocaine up into the upper laryngeal structures also, and further provide sensory anesthesia. Hello everyone, Jeremy here. Beyond the Mask is sponsoring a team for Halos again this year. Halos is an organization that offered support when Sharon lost her grandchild, Emma, two years ago. Halos is a nonprofit that provides emotional and financial support to bereaved parents who have lost a child from miscarriage through age 20. It's run by parents who have lost a child themselves and want to be there for those parents that need love and support or someone who truly understands what they're going through. The only means of support for Halos is through fundraisers and personal donations. Their largest fundraiser is a walkathon, which will take place on August the 6th. Sharon will be emceeing the event. Please consider joining us and donating by going to the show notes to look for the link or by going to the Beyond the Mask Facebook page. Thank you for your consideration. You can find out more information about the 2023 Halos Walk and donate by clicking on the link in the show notes of today's episode on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. 13th Annual Memorial Walk takes place in New Richmond, Wisconsin on August 5th. All right, so here we are related to the technique. So Jeremy, what we use, a, we use lidocaine here. What forms of lidocaine are we going to need? Okay, yeah, for the topical thunder, awake intubation, topicalization technique, we want to use 4% lidocaine solution. And if you can get it, if your pharmacy has it, a 5% lidocaine paste. And this is the technique. It's called the spray, paint, spray. Uh, there are three steps, spray, paint, spray, essentially. So step one of topical thunder is spraying using the atomizer the 4% lidocaine solution in the, the back of the oral cavity and in the oral pharyngeal airway. So what we do in step one is we take 10 milliliters of 4% lidocaine solution, and that's really all you'll need for the whole topicalization technique is that 10 milliliters. We'll put it on the atomizer, the magic atomizer, the mucosal atomization device. And then grab uh, some gauze, retract the tongue forward, the patient's tongue forward, and then spray about two to three milliliters into the oral cavity. Before you do this, warn the patient that lidocaine is bitter. It does not taste good, so you're gonna get kind of a, a I just ate a sour lemon type face from the patient. And you may even get a little bit of coughing as you start to anesthetize some of the gag reflex. So give the patient a moment, let them take a couple breaths, and then retract the tongue again and spray another two to three milliliters of solution a little bit deeper 
into the oral pharyngeal airway. So you're gonna use about five milliliters of 4% for step one. All right, so that's step one. We're spraying lidocaine using the mucosal atomization device into the oral cavity and the oral pharyngeal airway. Step two is painting. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take our tongue blade, we're gonna put about a thumbnail size of 5% lidocaine paste on the end of the tongue blade and call and we'll, we call that a lidocaine lollipop. We'll retract the tongue forward and then what we'll do is we'll put the lidocaine paste using the tongue blade on the very posterior aspect of the tongue as you've retracted it forward. And just let it sit there for about 10, 20, 30 seconds on one side. Let that lidocaine paste, that 5% lidocaine paste, start to melt down and then move it over to the other side. So essentially you're painting the back of the tongue with this lidocaine paste, letting the body heat warm that paste and that lidocaine paste will melt down into the vallecula. And after step two, I'll tell you, you could probably take a look with a video laryngoscope and have adequate anesthesia at that point with, with gentle traction uh, using the video laryngoscope. Step three, and this is really the money shot right here. This is where we are finishing the 4% uh, lidocaine solution. So we're spraying again. We've already done step one spray, step two paint. Step three is spraying using the lidocaine, the 4% the lidocaine and mucosal atomization device. Here, what we're gonna do is we are gonna load our endotracheal tube onto our flexible intubation scope, if that is the tool that we're using. And we are going to gently go in the airway and identify the hypopharyngeal structures. At this point, we're gonna spray about three milliliters all over the vocal cords, all over the, all over the posterior cartilages, the sides of the laryngeal opening, the piriform sinuses, and really just spray that whole area with the 4% lidocaine solution. The patient, if they still have a gag reflex at this point, will cough a little bit, that's okay, give them a moment. And then with the remaining two mLs of 4% lidocaine solution, we're gonna aim it right in between the vocal cords and squirt that down into the trachea. At this point, after step three, we've injected or we've atomized 10 mLs of 4% lidocaine solution and use that thumbnail-sized dollop of 5% lidocaine paste on the posterior aspect of the tongue, you have some really good topical anesthesia. And that right there, my friends, is topical thunder. So that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of spray paint spray anesthesia people are always concerned about time as we both know how long does this take yeah that and that's a pretty a good concern and not only anesthesia people but surgeons right that's really who's concerned about time well you know don't don't do an awake intubation that's going to delay my case well i can tell you that we have done this in about 6 minutes and there's actually been studies that have looked at the timing for awake intubation. And overall, it takes about eight minutes longer than a standard induction would take. Yeah. And of course, if you're doing it, there's an absolute indication to do it. Having a failed airway is certainly a disaster. And what is six minutes? I understand, you know, people are looking at the clock, 
But as I, I always joke about to students and to everybody, in your career, have you ever looked at a surgeon closing someone's wound and said to them, hey, doc, can you hurry that up? Because we have three more of these to do. Yeah, exactly. You've got three more cases. Can you hurry up your closure? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and along the lines, of, you know, you were talking about so there are indi- a clear indications for doing an awake intubation. If uh, if any of you have read the National Audit Project number four, this was done a, a, over 10 years ago, but they looked at almost 3 million airway cases in the UK. And they were, were looking for, you know, why, what, what are the major airway complications? Well, one of the findings from this report was that awake intubation was clearly indicated but for whatever reason, the provider didn't do an awake intubation, and then they got into trouble. Yeah. If it's my loved one, I want you to take that six minutes. Yeah, exactly. All right. So can we talk about lidocaine? Because we talked mm-hmm. about uh, spray, paint, spray, 5% lidocaine paste, 4% injectable in solution. Seems like a lot. What do you got to say about that? We've got to we've got to address the potential for lidocaine toxicity. Um, the good news is is that this is topical, so not all of it is going to be absorbed into the bloodstream. Much of it is going to pass down into the stomach and be eliminated. What I will say is that there are the, the British Thoracic Society actually recommends up to eight mil, milligrams per kilogram of lidocaine when they're doing topical anesthesia for their um, bronchoscopies. So there, there is precedent for using higher doses of lidocaine. One thing to consider is avoiding lidocaine on induction. So we don't want to inject any more lidocaine into the, into the vein. Um, when after we have topicalized the airway and intubated the patient. Of course, we'll be inducing them after that, so just avoid lidocaine at that point. Real quick, in terms of the nasal passages, so if, in, if we're not doing an oral intubation but doing a, a nasal intubation, there are a couple of additional considerations. We do want to anesthetize the nasal passages. Certainly earlier we talked about providing vasoconstriction using oxymetazoline or phenylephrine initially. You can also uh, in, inject some oxymetazoline or phenylephrine into your lidocaine paste and go ahead and lubricate your nasal pharyngeal airway and your endotracheal tube that you're going to use in the nose. That will also help to vasoconstrict and provide anesthesia. So once we've got a, a nasal passage dilated enough that that's the one that we're going to use to pass our endotracheal tube, gently, of course your endotracheal tube is lubricated, with, and I like to use 5% lidocaine paste, gently advance that endotracheal tube up to about 13, 14 centimeter mark. And then you can pass your flexible intubating scope right through that. Most of the time, that is gonna give you a great look at the laryngeal opening as you come through the end of that endotracheal tube. And then you can manipulate the scope down, finish anesthetizing the the uh, hypopharynx if you have not already done so and pass the tube, pass the flexible intubating scope through the cords, pass the tube into the airway. And then start ventilating. (laughs) Ventilate. Well, listen, thank you for that great review and thank you everybody for hanging out with us for another episode. If you've liked what you've heard and you want us to grow, please consider leaving us a review and sharing this episode with your colleagues. And again, 
We're going to be doing this at the annual Congress in 2023 in August. And if you're there, it'll be a blast to see you. We can't wait. We can't wait. Come check us out. CRNA Nation, thanks for hanging with us. This That's it for this episode. Remember, keep ventilating, passing those endotracheal tubes, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.